Welcome to The Aggregate, hosted by Kinetic Ventures. This is a project based on the learnings from Startup DNA and the founder's journey. On this episode, Brad and Chris introduced Startup DNA for the first time. And one interesting thing to listen for is why the traditional startup pitch is broken. Well, I think probably we ought to start with introducing ourselves and uh, then we'll kind of roll into today's topic and how that overlays with a couple other podcasts we've done. Well, uh, so I'm Chris Jelm, a partner at Kinetic Ventures, and I run investments for Midwest Canada and also lead our data practice. Uh, and as it relates to this episode, I was co-creator of Startup DNA with Brad Zapp. And my name is Brad Zapp. I'm the co-founder of Kinetic Ventures. And uh, I, like Chris said, I'm also the uh, co-creator and inventor of Startup DNA. Uh, Startup DNA is one of six apps that lives on a software platform called Wendell. And Wendell is one of the things that makes Kinetic very unique because I believe we're the first or second data-driven um, VC in America. And Startup DNA is probably our most fully-fledged working application that we have today. And I know internally, it's certainly the most exciting to talk about. Startup DNA. Can you unpack that a little bit, uh, both the name and what the product actually is? Yeah. So first, I mean, there was, we, we found this big problem and when it was coming into due diligence. So when you think about um, diligence and if we were to, let's just unpack that into say three, three levels, you have like business model and financial due diligence, and then you have uh, the, the product and you know how that works. And those are really vetted, really good and really, you know, really tough and stringent. And when we were learning from other angel investors and VCs, there was always people that would just dive deep. But when it got to the team, what we found interesting was the level of diligence was literally one page on a slide with some logos. And, and if you're past, you know, logo was good and you had something from a big co or a tech company then it was just kind of check the box like, oh, okay, well, he's rolling out from Oak Ridge, so he must know cybersecurity. Yeah, we're good. And the more we thought about it and the more we talked with other VCs, everyone, I would say nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 would say team matters a lot from experience. Um, and several, most would say team matters the most. And yeah. so if you think about that, we ought to be doing the most due diligence on the team, but we were doing very little. And so we wanted to do something. Yeah. It kind of gets back to the jockey or the horse uh, comparison. Everyone you'll ask pretty much says bet on the jockey, not the horse. But uh, yeah, we no one's really doing that other than uh, does this, does this feel good? Do, do I like this person? You know, I've heard so many stories that uh, from other VCs that were at bars that, you know, that most of their investments come from meeting someone at a bar, uh, just which seems completely crazy to me. And then for us, we had a second problem because since we were a, a digital uh, VC, I mean, we show up to work every day in an office in the greater Cincinnati area. Um, and there's some, you know, startup activity here, but, but not a lot. So we really needed to draw upon 
uh, deals across America. So this is even pre-pandemic. We had to learn how to close on deals um, with founders that we probably never met in person. And we needed some way to get comfortable with, with doing that. So, you know, we understood the people diligence problem. We understood the problem that we're a digital VC. And so we needed to create something that how could we look inside this person as best we could to say, do they even have what it takes to pull off what I believe is one of the hardest business endeavors in America, mm -hmm. which is not just a entrepreneur or startup in our field, we're in an innovation driven enterprise meaning we don't necessarily have uh, EBITDA or even a business model or revenue to draw upon. We need to manage resources beyond the founder's control. And so that level of work, that stress, that you know ability to problem solve on the fly was something that we just didn't believe was suited for everyone. So we needed to create something that could separate out people into different profiles to help us identify who we're going to place our bets on. Yeah. And there's a, there's a big gap between thinking of an idea and actually executing it. So can you talk to you know, a little bit, I think we actually whiteboarded in this room uh, prior to even building anything, but how, how, how'd you go about creating it? And what is, what was the process to actually getting a product to market that looks inside people and tries to predict their uh, innate abilities? Well, the process is really hard. Uh, I mean, it started with, we didn't want to, we wanted to solve the problem, but we did not set out to build a product ourselves. We, that wasn't even, that wasn't even the original. So we just sort of assumed that someone else um, understood this problem and was already solving it. And, you know, I, I would say from the three partners here, we individually each took, you know, six, seven or eight um, different types of personality and psychometric uh, tests. We took all the um, named ones that people listening where you would know. And then we also took um, proprietary ones um, delivered by professional coaches. And while some of them were really good, we noticed another problem is there was a high degree of friction. So can you imagine if we're trying to look at 150 uh, companies a month, and, and let's just say for sake of argument that there's two founders per company, not to mention the other you know, important team members, mm -hmm. then we're talking 300 human beings per month that we really want to go through this diligence process. And the thought of having them sit down on a 90 minute examination that we would then have to follow up with the coach to deliver us results over 30 minutes, it's not scalable. And then even when we found some stuff that was off platform that was scalable, that friction of, since we're a digital VC, of bouncing a founder who this is a very unique process to begin with anyways, they start a process on our platform and then we have to bounce them off to do something else. It, we were just, we, our conversion rate was just going down to a level that, you know, didn't make us happy. So we said, forget this, we're going to build it ourselves. And so we, we started in this room, you know, on whiteboards, we talked about all the different tests and surveys that we had taken before. We had found a few that the format made a lot of sense to us, and we started reading. We went back to some research, a lot of this science. I mean, a lot of the personality tests 
that anyone listening um, would know by name, they're all coming from the same three people and really the same line of science. So we just went and did that. And then we developed our own spin on it that was basically modern. And we did many, many iterations um, at, over many, many months. And we just, we just tested it in the field. And at some point during that, we came up with a working model that we thought was good enough. And then we put it out in the world and we started having founders go through it. A little stressful, right? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, yeah, it certainly was. And, and you don't really understand like all the, all the, so this was our first experience of building our own technology product, you know, on top of the Wendell platform. And it's the first one that had such a high degree of um, usage. And so you could see some of the issues. We built this, again, not just to be on platform and be our own. It was fully automated results, no coach, no interpretation. And building that logic inside of a personality survey, and, and, and we built ours and if you off the top of my head, we did one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight data points. So to turn what was um, widely a qualitative scientific research tool into an automated logical data tool that we could use for future, you know, training and different models that we wanted to do, that proved to be super hard. Yeah. Can, can you talk to a little bit uh, the differences between what's out there and, you know, their activity vector analysis, ABA, which is different than Myers-Briggs? What can you talk to startup DNA, what it gets at uh, from the like human perspective? Like what traits are you analyzing and how does that differ or how is it similar to other things in the market? Yeah, so we Startup DNA is an activity vector analysis personality assessment, and there are um, others out there um, that listeners would know that you know are built on the same type of science. And you know, some questions that we would get early on is, well, what makes yours better? Or why does it work? And all and all that stuff. And, and I would always come back with, you know, the first thing is. Well, are you using anything? No. Well, then ours is better than nothing. <laughs> and and so that usually, that lowered people's guard. And I would say the second thing is ours is the newest. So if you just look at the world since 2018, and in particular the last 18 months, the world's really different. The way we think, the way we talk, um, what we believe is important from a social impact standpoint. And our test survey was built with those in mind. And in fact, we went ahead and had ours validated for science. So it works, the math works, the science works. And another difference is ours has been validated for fairness. So we have a test that um, is fair on gender, race, and age. We have plans in the future to go another layer deeper, but that'll be um, you know, f for another podcast. So are you claiming other assessments could be biased by certain uh, demographic splits? For sure. I mean, I mean it's well documented. There's even a, um, a really cool um, HBO show out right now uh, that, that anybody could look. And, that's not, and this isn't to say that 
all tests are bad or that ours is perfect. We are aware of our own weaknesses. And in that, that gives us strength because we know when to utilize it and then when to use our brains. And we know what areas we can, we can improve upon. So there's a lot of good that comes from our usage of this. But we certainly validated the actual mechanics of the test. And then we are currently, we are in an active research study right now that we want to make sure that the outcomes that ultimately the system is making recommendations on, is this person going to be good in this role? Whether that's CEO or, or chief technical officer or chief financial officer or just an employee of the firm or you know whatever. We also want to make sure that the recommendations are coming back. So we truly are. We want it to work, but we also want to make sure and that's all the good. But we want to mitigate the harm to make sure that truly the opportunities are democratized, um, you know, in a in a fair way. On that point, how do you how do you think about feedback? And you know, when people see any sort of assessment that buckets them into a profile or a group, uh, there's always you know either immediate confirmation that like this is me, or I think it's you know, it's one of two things. This is 100% me or eh, I'm not buying this. And especially when that's integrated in a decision-making process. Uh, how do you think about that and like future iterations of the product? Uh, you know, you can loop in Wendell here too, if you want. So humans were really complex and I would never be so foolish as to say that one little six minute survey could uh, label or tell us about a person you know, all the way to the nth degree. Absolutely not. Uh, what I do find interesting about the survey that we've created on Startup DNA is you are self-selecting from um, a vetted adjective checklist and you are describing yourself to yourself. Now, you know, maybe maybe there's some words that you don't understand and that could cause problems. Or maybe there's a language barrier currently in um, if we have, um, you know, people from different nationalities taking the test, or maybe we are emotional beings and we're just in a bad mood or a great mood. And when we're taking the test and that could influence us, or maybe we didn't understand the instructions, or maybe we're trying to describe who we want to be and not who we are, or maybe we're young and we don't know who we are. So there, there's tons of issues on any test, not just ours, when you're trying to figure out, I mean, this is really deep stuff. Like, who am I? I am currently 43 years old, and I didn't begin to contemplate who am I until I was about 35. So and do you do you think you know, you've done for me personally, I have the same revelation working on this, learning about the field, uh, you know, seeing thousands of companies and teams, but I've taken so many assessments and I so what's what's the difference? Is it because you are now, you know, becoming an expert in the field or at least uh, advanced? What, why, or is it just the way the results spoke to you? Why, why is this different now than uh, anything else you've taken historically? I think in this one, because we were focused on very... Um, tactical traits, very specific, that were easy to understand. So nothing really high level and obtuse 
that felt like, uh, you know, that, that magic eight ball that predicts the future and all oh, that can be true about anyone. No, no, we are, we are down at the building block level. Okay. At these, these eight traits. And when we were building it and I first, I had, I had my dad take it and I took it. And, you know, my dad is a super great guy in general, but he's also a, he's beloved in the community and he's an excellent businessman. He IPO'd a company and I always wanted to be my dad, but I always fell short and I literally thought something was wrong with me. And so when he took this survey that we built and I took this survey, what was hilarious was seven out of 10 traits were identical, but there was this one trait that was dead opposite and it explained everything to me. And for me, that changed my life. I could immediately say, great dad, thanks for all the learnings, but I am done trying to be you. Now that I know who I am, then I'm going to focus on being the best version of me. And it, it, it transforms me to this day because I was having a, a meeting the other day um, with the uh, president of a university that they were kind of recruiting me perhaps to be on a board. And I said, listen, I need to tell you about who I am <laughs> and what I'm good at and what I'll bring to the table. And you need to make sure that's what you want. And so then I started, I'm a disruptor. And so I started describing my profile to him in a manner that I, I could see in his eyes. He, he paused like, huh? Not that he didn't want me, he does, but I think now he's thinking about, I want you for something different. I didn't even have that skill set. I couldn't even tell uh, a partner, an employer, or whoever. I couldn't even tell you what you're getting with me. Um, so I, I thought that it just, it, it was mind bending um, how good it was. Yeah, for me, it was a little different. I had the same. What's your profile? Problem solver. Uh, so I, I'm. Because we got to start talking about I'm an things. enterpriser like yourself. Uh, but for me, what really brought it all together and why I love this is we were doing work around roles. How do you build great teams? What, what role does a profile serve on a team? And you know, I've, most, I've been an entrepreneur most of my life, not, and I, I, I always struggled to kind of get it over the hump. And so you know, when we started looking at roles and profiles, who, do, who does super well, you know, I'm, I'm more of a COO type person. I, I can flex, but you know, I'm missing the kind of the intense proactiveness that you need as a CEO. And so for me, uh, getting to role, not just how do you work with Chris? It's well, what, what would Chris excel at? Not that I can't flex into anything I want, but that to me is like, okay, wow. Like we're starting to get somewhere, uh, assigning people to, how they can be most proactive and um, efficient in a team setting. And it's fascinating when people, you said it a little bit earlier, but when they say, oh my gosh, that's me. And so then when you um, self-identify with your own profile, you automatically, you focus on the, the things you're good at. And if you're humble enough and you're like, well, that's, that's what I am. I mean, for me, as a, a disruptor, I love change. I mean, ask my wife. There has never been, it doesn't matter if we build a brand new home with a custom builder. I had rehab people in the next day, or if we had, I always change stuff at home. Uh, ask my partners, I always change stuff at, at the office. And what that makes me is good getting something new off the ground. I move super fast. 
Uh, I can kind of see, you know, the future and I'm comfortable with a little bit of chaos. But am I ever going to be happy or get energy from running a enormous organization? Or will I have the patience to do that? No, that doesn't mean I can't do it intellectually. It doesn't mean that I might not even look good doing it from afar. But is that where I'm going to drive my energy? No. And I know that now and I'm okay with that. And so at some point, if I'm super successful at Kinetic, we'll probably have a leadership change and I'll move into something that needs to be broken or changed at Kinetic and I'll be assigned that task. And I'll do a, we'll do a bang up job at that because, you know, that's, that's what we're made to do. I want to talk about it real quick because I, I just can't help it. The way we've explained this to teams is let's use the most recent Super Bowl champions the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm -hmm. And so you've got Hall of Famer, maybe the GOAT, Tom Brady at quarterback. Definitely the GOAT. Yeah. Okay. As much as I don't like him, he's he's the greatest. Yeah. So and you got Rob Gronkowski, one of the greatest tight ends. Yep. And I don't remember all the receivers' names, but um they've got some highly talented Mike God, Evans. Yeah. Godwin. Yeah. Right. They're, they're and then, good. And but when you start to think about why this is important is imagine if I said, okay, Tampa Bay, you get the exact same players, but I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, we're going to switch their positions and we're going to put Tom Brady on the offensive line. We're going to move, you know, Rob Gronkowski to free safety. We're going to put Mike Evans at quarterback. Now, do they beat the, do they win? No. No, they get crushed. And so, like, that's crazy if you think about it because it's the exact same players, the exact same, but they're not competitive if they're not in the right roles. And I think that is super important to what we're doing. And I don't think enough people think about that. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I mean, it's physical gifts versus yeah, inherent uh, just personality. I, they're, there are similarities, I think, you know, people are born with gifts, regardless if that's, you know, physical or mental. Uh, so we, you're a disruptor. I'm a problem solver. What's your, what's Catherine, your wife? Uh, my wife is a mingler. And my wife, Molly is a closer. Uh, <laughs> it's it'll be entertaining for the listeners at some point when they <laughs> understand this a bit more. I, I have but, a, a it, I swear it's an every weekend thing. One of our other uh, guys that works on this, Alex Burkhart, who's an enterprise or accelerator. Uh, people if uh, can go listen to a podcast on Alex Burkhart um, on our uh, the aggregate channel. But I'm constantly sending hilarious videos of my mingler wife uh, to Alex because he's married to a mingler as well. Yes, and I'm working on a little project around couples and startup DNA, so maybe that'll be a, a future episode as well. So one thing that I think would be fun for us to dive into, because uh, there's plenty of, you know, personality and, and different type of assessments tool. But I, I think what we're doing is fascinating because if you think of the way, even, even if a company or a consulting firm or a private equity fund or venture capital firm is using assessments today, the way I've seen it used is you, you have the team take this assessment and then the results are interpreted for you by a coach on biases that you presume are important. What we're doing is completely different. 
we basically entered this with a mindset of, I don't really care about what I think is important. For example, if we just talk about the vector of enterprisers, you, you know, in the absence of data, you would immediately say, well, I need an enterpriser at the top, right? Or a, you know, a mingler can never lead a company. And we threw that bias out the door. Now, it may, it may prove to be true, but we threw that out the door day one, and we are letting the data speak for itself. So, I, you know, I, I think that's the coolest thing. And, you know, while a mingler, the data currently supports is probably not the best startup CEO, it is the highest overperforming teammate Mm -hmm. that we have yep. data on, which is pretty cool. Yeah, which gets to you know, maybe morale and uh, their function of bringing energy. And uh, there's so many factors that could play into that. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, we're always looking at that. We're, uh, I mean, probably daily, we're trying to figure out, okay, well, how is this changing? And what does it mean now? You know, even with CEO, what we were looking for, we had an assumption, enterprisers mostly, but you know, that's changed as we've collected more data on startup outcomes. He talked to you a little bit about maybe our initial hypothesis around just the CEO and you know, how that's changed a little bit. Yeah. So we needed, if, if we were going to put this in practice, which I think is one of the coolest things we've ever done. And that's because I'm a disruptor. I think a lot of people would have researched this for years and years and years. And the problem with doing it that way is to collect enough data, we already knew it was gonna take us years and years and years. So what we decided to do was form a strategic hypothesis or basically a static algorithm and put our assessment out there in the world and bang it up against our hypothesis, see how it went and then check our data. So at the beginning, yes, of course, we had the exact same hypothesis that anyone would have is, oh, well, if they're an enterpriser, um, you know, they're, they're going to do better. And I believe there's five enterprising profiles. And so, so that was it. And, but the reality of what we've seen since then is two enterprising profiles are underperforming. And we have a wild card specialist profile that is the <laughs> academic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for all you universities out there, literally the academic is having some success. We don't know why. And the closer is um, having some success. So when you start looking at the data versus just having this hypothesis, you know, I think in any other people using something like this, they would have just kept on keeping on with enterprisers. And maybe that'll prove out over 10 years, but it's not so far. And I think that's amazing that we're doing that. And it's now also starting to lead us. Our follow-up hypothesis is, well, maybe it's not just the CEO. It's the one-two punch. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about individual profiles, disruptor, problem solver, uh, vectors, enterpriser. Can you talk to the profiles, so the 22 profiles, and then how vectors play into that. So I almost create a visual for anyone listening of what what the heck are we talking about when you say enterpriser or disruptor? So when we're looking at people, we're, we're trying to, and we're talking at scale here. So remember, humans are really complex, but at scale, the first thing we're trying to do is to separate out the main driving internal forces in a person that affects their behavior. So if you think of a bullseye board 
and slice it or, or a pizza and slice it into four, you know, like across through the middle into, into four slices with a bullseye in the middle. So the bullseye is your balance vector. And um, when you go to the northwest, you've got the enterprising vector and the northeast, you have the specialist vector and the southwest, you have the advocates and the southeast, you have the collaborators. So everyone in the north is assertive and northwest is proactive and assertive and northeast is reactive and assertive. So specialists are reactive and assertive as compared to enterprisers are proactive and assertive. And we go down to the advocates. These are your client facing or people to get energy from people. And they are proactive and friendly. They're pretty popular people. And if you go down to the Southeast, these are your collaborators. These people, they get stuff done. Um, and they are reactive and friendly people. So we first, if we did nothing right, um, you know, getting people in vectors is a lot easier than getting people in individual profiles. So if we were just to talk about Chris and I, since we're, the, we're on this one, you know, the difference between, you know, a problem solver and a disruptor is really tiny, tiny nuances. So a disruptor is typically slightly more outgoing. The problem solver is slightly more assertive. And the disruptor probably has the ability to flex in and be more detailed at times. And they both are extremely proactive and a strong desire to win. So inside the vectors, we have set it up. So there are four profiles in every vector. And literally, it's just like one little trait is off. You always have like, well, this is the friendliest out of that vector, or this is the most detailed out of that vector, or this one, you know, is the best teammate out of this vector, or wants to win the most out of this vector. And it's those one little trait differences that create the profile. So it wouldn't be abnormal when you have such a short test. If it came back and it said, oh, Brad, you're an accelerator, you know, oh, well, hmm, but the accelerator is the best friend to the disruptor. And so you could you could self-identify with a profile that, that might be just one to the left or, or one to the right. Yeah, because it could be, you know, only a few words that you checked different in that test that could sway it just that little bit. Uh, and I think it's cool. So Brad didn't touch on this, but the interface, every other vector analysis shows you 173 plus words on one page and you check which ones relate most to you or you relate most with. Um, we modernize that a bit and have flashcards that show you one word at a time and you say yes or no. And what we've seen is it's a lot easier for people to process one word at a time versus looking at 173 on one page. And so uh, I don't know if we've done any work around accuracy, but it's just a, a little interesting UX switch that at least like for me personally, it makes a huge difference. And I feel the results I've seen from ours describes me a little bit more and doesn't fluctuate as much as, you know, because you might just be exhausted one day and you're like, well, I don't want to look at 173 words and uh, super small writing, try to parse it out. It's definitely more accurate for the majority of people. 
So just take me. I I can't if if my wife says, hey, go upstairs and get me this can of whatever. And I'll say, well, where is it? And she'll say, it's bright and purple and it's in the shoe closet on the second shelf. And I'll go up to the shoe closet that I've never been in, whatever this purple thing is, which I've never held in my hand. It could literally be in front of my face. I can't see it. <laughs> That's not my gifts. That is not it. You know what I mean? Like... So uh, when you're when you're at the um, you know just open freedom to just choose kind of whatever you just you gloss because that's your natural profile. Now not not everybody. So in some people it doesn't make a hill of beans difference because we had we've done both interfaces we've tested them both. But when you see a fourteen percent uptick in words selected in our forced choice model, then my confidence level goes up a you know, a, a great degree. Plus we thought it'd be fun. Um, it, it is doing, fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we talked profiles, vectors, you keep talking about traits. Can you break down the four main traits? We'll probably save kind of how we've tweaked and measured some additional things, but what, what are the traits that define uh, a profile? So basically we're trying to figure out relative to the general population, is are you more of a take charge leader versus on the other side of that same trait would be no i want to be you know a teammate you know a, a part a part of something okay those are completely polar opposites we would just unilaterally call that a leadership trait and then we have the social trait so are you leaning way over on the right as an extrovert or are you uh, leave me alone. I want to hide in my closet, work behind a computer, super introvert type. And then we go down and we have the reactive. I like to process and I like to think about and, and, you know, get as much information and knowledge before I react. Um, we can call that patient or are you the type of person that says, yeah, stop talking. I'm ready. I got enough. I want to go. I want to go. Um, you know, in, impatience on the far left. And that's the patience trait. My dad always called me his little ping pong ball. It pissed me off. <laughs> but now I view it as proactive. <laughs> not in, I'm not impatient, Chris. I'm proactive. So I can, I can trump that. And then the fourth trait is formality or detail. And so these are people that if you're on the far right and you have a high degree of that, then you really, really enjoy learning the, the nitty gritty. And, and we've seen people like that and they know a lot about a lot of things. And then on the four left, the far left, you know, you're much more informal, your tip of the iceberg, um, you know, type of stuff. And across those four, uh, we've done analysis on this. Can you just generally describe what, the idea, I'm not going to say it's the best profile, but when we're looking for an early stage CEO, what would, you know, the best like average be across those four trades? What like describe, describe who we're looking for. Uh, you have to move like lightning. You have to be willing to take what others perceive as risk. Uh, you have to be a strong leader that people are willing to follow, which means you probably have a little bit of extroversion. You're not going to let some minor detail get get in the way and, and bog you down or create drag on the enterprise. So it's really about being able to get launch, you know, so there's a certain speed. If you think of rockets or whatever to leave the atmosphere, or airplanes to leave the ground, you, you know, you have tons of headwinds 
um, being a disruptive company. And so headwinds can be good if you get enough speed to launch off the ground. So sort of just having that vision of the future, you know, getting people excited and being able to launch an organization. You can't you can't succeed if you don't get off the ground. I mean, you know, let's be honest. We've seen a ton of there is a very popular founder trait amongst a lot of angels uh, and VCs. And they're awesome and meticulous and they know their stuff cold, but they they never launch. I mean, or or. Sometimes when they're good and have the right team, they do launch and it's eight years later. And we have a story how one of those did turn out really good. But the ones that we're looking for, our hypothesis is let's at least invest in a whole bunch of teams that we know are going to get to market. I mean, and have a legit shot. And so we're looking for, for you know, those. Foot on the gas, brake pedals broken. <laughs> they don't, yeah, they, they, they didn't build their car with brake pedals. Yeah. No, they're, they're completely, uh, you know, unaware. There is no brake. There's let's there's let's go. Mm-hmm. And now we have data that that at least in what four of three or three of those enterprisers plus a fast moving advocate that you know right they're having some serious early success, which yeah. is pretty cool. Uh, I was listening to you on a call yesterday and I heard you say something super interesting that there's a trait that masks other traits. It's, uh, can you, can you go into that a little bit? Cause that was the first time, I mean, it makes sense intuitively now that I you know process it, but, uh, that was interesting for me and something I hadn't thought of. All right. So I'm going to go on two things here that when it comes to masking three things, when it comes to masking traits and why this is so important, if you can get somebody to take this test seriously. So first off, to answer your question, it's the social trait. It's the easiest to see with the naked eye. It's the the way our brains are hardwired because there's another very famous test that it's leading identifier is, are you an E or an I? And so culturally, in almost everything we do, we're hardwired to be, I'm an extrovert or I'm outgoing or I'm an introvert and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so we just, we pick it up. We, I mean, you can pick that up in most people, even if you don't know them at your very first meeting. But the other ones are harder to see. So that social trait masks everything else. And when it comes to like venture capital, if you think of the process, which to this point is completely broken, the idea that a pitch is going to help uh, us identify if this person is any good is just completely ridiculous. Because you're always you're always going to like you're you're we're hard you're going to like that guy is charismatic. That guy has a lot of energy. You know that you know, that, that gal, she really, you know, is enthusiastic and that gets you excited. But then that completely eliminates this whole 50% of the field that that's, you've, you've set a forum that sets them up for failure and you're missing out on all those opportunities. So the social trait masks everything else. And we have no data to support that that trait amounts to a hill of beans, zero. So it's just, it's, it is, it is a huge problem. Second thing I'll say is this, if, um, if the traits that are inside a person are not really pronounced, then without some sort of assessment tool, you have no way to judge them unless you, you might know your spouse, you might know your 
best friend or two because you're intimate with those people and you have tons of interaction. But not everyone is just extremes. Not everyone is like, you know, a lion on, or, you know, whatever. Not everyone is just, it's obvious. It's, it's very, in fact, two thirds of the population won't have hardly any traits that are really obvious, but they can describe them to you if you give them the chance. So that's, so that's the second thing on, you know, why the current process is broken. And the third thing that everyone needs to be aware of is behavior modification. Everybody is capable of behavior, or most people are capable of behavior modification. And if you set a process, this presentation process of something that these founders have practiced thousands of times, then they are representing to you whatever it is that they think you want. And that's not super helpful when you're trying to make investment decisions. And so that's just one of the things we have our own problems too, but they're less. And if we can get to the heart of a person and we can get something that tells us about that person, then when we're doing our in-person interviews or our phone calls, or even after the first investment, then we can validate is the behavior of this person, you know, is it jiving with how they, how they scored out when we, when we first interviewed them. Yes. If you're watching Techstars demo day or any demo day, you would think, Every founder was the same person. I mean, it's, you know, to the second they've rehearsed uh, exact pitch and they're probably, yeah, within a second of length and tone. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. Uh, but we know not every founder is the same. And so uh, there is a huge element of rehearsing. And so we just cut out all that. You know, we don't even look at pitch decks until we've had companies go through this process, which you know, people think we're crazy, which, uh, you know, we are a little bit, but, yeah. um, so there's a lot more to unpack here. I'm sure anyone listening has two questions. The millions of people listening to this right now, <laughs> two questions, how the hell can I use this in my organization and how do I take it? If I want to know what profile I am. So I'll, I'll lean in and I'll say, look, if you're not using something, use anything. Okay. So I'm, I'm a big fan of anything. I'm fascinated by the human mind. I'm fascinated by DNA. I'm fascinated by our behaviors. And I'm certainly biased uh, to think that ours is the best or one, or one of the best. So how can you use it in your organization? Look, you can use it in multitude of ways from figuring out um, how to hire people for certain positions or figuring out literally how who's going to work from home better than who's going to work from in the office to figuring out your office schema, what little teams, how do you build teams inside an organization, who sits next to who for morale. I mean, it's just the case studies are just unlimited on, on you know, what you can use it for. And you are happy to... Um, send us a inbound email request. And right now we're in closed beta, but you can get on the waiting list and we would go to um, uh, open beta too. But if you wanted to take it right now and just get your own results completely free or apply for funding through Kinetic Ventures, uh, right on our homepage, it says apply for funding. It'll register you for a free account. Uh, you'll, you'll have a very short conversation with Wendell, a bot, and one of the surveys that he'll take you through is Startup DNA. And you have the opportunity for free to invite, you know, the next 
four or so most important team members, and you can learn something about each other, and hopefully you find that helpful. And we can talk with you on platform any questions you have, or if you wanted to use it further, you could do it there. Awesome. Well, Brad, I really love this. I'm glad we've got our makeshift studio now. And I wrote down about 10 follow-up episodes that uh, I'm sure we will have shortly. Yeah. And my closing comments is listen to the Founder Journey podcast that we've done. And we've deliberately made sure that those founders each were a distinct profile. And we're going to do some crossover episodes where we pull out little tidbits of what what the accelerator uh, said versus what the disruptor said. And I think that'll be super enjoyable for people. Yeah, well, I know I'm looking forward to it. So with that, thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be out with something shortly. Thank you for listening to The Aggregate, hosted by Kinetic Ventures. Kinetic Ventures is an early-stage VC that is disrupting venture capital by replacing the pitch with an unbiased, data-driven approach. This has resulted in a 600% increase in speed to investment, an 800% increase in funding that goes towards female and minority founders, and a 100% chance that we will use the data to get smarter over time. If you would like to learn more about Kinetic, please visit www.kinetic.ventures or send us an email at info at kinetic.ventures. Thanks again.